Welcome to the Life of Christ series 4, term 4. This is lesson 34. Hallelujah. We're going to continue where we left off on page 18. We've just had Jesus heal this man, ask him to stretch out his hand. It was made whole just like the other one. At this point in time, anyone would have thought that this astounding deed of both might and mercy would have convinced the Pharisees of their error and caused them to confess their sin and guilt. But instead, sadly, they hated Jesus all the more. With William Hendrickson saying that as they saw it, imparting health and happiness to a man by removing his handicap was a crime when it was done on the Sabbath. But... Wait for it. Plotting on the same day to destroy the healer amounted to a meritorious or praiseworthy act. Incredible, isn't it? (laughs) Wow. That's how influenced by the devil these religious people were. And why Jesus would say to them later on in John 8.44, You are of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. Now, let me just bring something out there for just a moment. Something that my daughter spoke to me about and she asked me a question and as I was answering her, I thought maybe I could share this with you as well. If you're not talking to God, if you are scheming, then what you're actually doing is talking to the devil. Because he is the schemer. Do you understand? See, you're, you're spending time in your thoughts either with God or without God. Can I just say that? Okay? Even in those times that you think you're neutral, God is actually talking to you. He never turns off. He never switches off. He just keeps chatting to you. You know, and a lot of times the things that we're thinking of, we think, oh yeah, that's right, I've got to turn that off, or I've got to remember to lock that before I leave. That's all Him. I don't know the number of times that, you know, I've just done things and just suddenly thought, oh thank God, I remember this now rather than when I'm halfway down the road. All of that is just God. Alright? Let me show you the other side of this. The times when you're, you know, you're thinking, I wonder how I can get more out of this, and I wonder how I can you know, kind of rip them off over there. Not that any of you do this, but you know, I'm trying to... Okay, I'm just giving you the other side. Okay, when you're thinking of all of that stuff, see, that's all not God. Something else is talking to you. Are you all with me? And so, if these religious people weren't spending time with God, in the presence of God, so to speak, okay, without getting religious about it, all right, then obviously they're in the presence of something else. Something else is influencing their thoughts. Something else is causing them to scheme. See, a lot of times we think that we're the one coming up with things. But we, you know, as, as much as we do, there is something always influencing us. And it is whatever we are allowing ourselves to be influenced by, that is guiding us and leading us into whatever it is. Either good or ill, you know. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Okay. It's funny how some people say, well, I get, I get nervous when people say they're talking to God. I get nervous when you say that. Because now I'm, I know who you're not talking to. And if you're not talking to God, then you are obviously then talking to some, something else. And it's talking to you. And you haven't even recognized it. Are you with me? Okay. Let's move on. In fact, we see evidence of that in in the very next verse in Luke chapter 6 and verse 11. Going to say, but they were filled with rage. Who would be filled with rage after a miracle happened? Something that is inspired by the devil. Are you all with me? Do you know why? Because remember Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Which means the devil is very angry. And so if he is destroying that, and if you happen to be angry, we need to ask you, which side of the fence are you on? Why are you angry? 
See, because that's the thing, whatever spirit is um, influencing you, you take on those emotions, you take on those thoughts, you take on those feelings. And so, you know, th- that's one of the things that I learned at, at one point in my life, when I used to get angry about things that I shouldn't get angry about, I learned one day to ask myself, why? Why am I getting angry? Where is this coming from? And that's when I realized it wasn't coming from God. That's when I realized that my antenna was turned in the wrong direction in some things. And I had to retune. I had to go back and say, from now on, when that happens, I do not get angry. Because I know that's not God. I know that's not God. Amen? So verse 11, it says, But they were filled with rage, and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. John MacArthur writes, Such irrational hatred was their response to having been publicly humiliated, something they hated worse than anything. They were unable to answer his reasoning. Furthermore, by healing the man only with a command, he had performed no actual work (laughs) with which they could charge him. Isn't that interesting? Desperately seeking a reason to accuse him, they could find none. They responded with blind fury. In other words, Jesus had defied them and gotten away with it. And they were furious. Once again, they were looking to trap him in something he said or did. And once again, he had outsmarted them. Turning the very thing they tried to use against him to expose and humble them. Amen? Alright, in fact, William Hendrickson puts it so well when he says, Filled with madness were these scribes and Pharisees. Before the public, they had been shown up for what they really were. Leaders who set a higher value on their harsh hair-splitting rules than on God's law of love. And were more concerned about their traditions than about the health and happiness of a tragically handicapped fellow man. And if their self-inflicted silence had already made them angry, the actual miracle Jesus performed made matters even worse for them. Oh, that even now they had repented and confessed their wickedness. But no, they discussed back and forth among themselves what they might do to Jesus. The subject of the discussion was how to get around the two basic obstacles they faced in getting rid of Jesus. The first being the deeply impressed synagogue audience, and second being the authorities, specifically the Roman government. See, that's the problem now they're having. They're saying, all right, if we do something to this man, the people here are, are, are looking at him as the Messiah. So they're going to jump down our throat. So they are, they are now discussing how they could, what they can do to discredit him, all right, and number two, they also need to find a way of getting this man, you know, executed by the Roman government. So, how do we get the government to turn on him? So, they need to get the people to turn on him and the government to turn on him. And all he's doing is good. Interesting, isn't it? That's their plots. That's their scheme. What would you do to people like that? You know, <laughs> no, I'm serious. You look at that. You know, people say, "Well, if God's such a loving God, how come He sends people to hell?" I'll bet money there are people you want to send to hell. Seriously? Don't come waving that at me. Because you'll have this other argument on the other side. I will bet money you'll have this argument of, well, if God was a just God, He'd send that person to hell because they did a bad thing to me. Will be your response. Will be the way you are at. You know, people get religiously stupid. 
When they, when they come up with you know, the things that they say, if God is so loving, then blah, blah, blah. It's like, because He's so loving. Alright. And so to get help with this problem, they decide to turn to, uh, of all people, their worst enemy, the Herodians. <laughs> okay? With Mark, remember, they need the government. Okay? With Mark chapter 3, verse 6 saying, Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians. These are their enemies. They were dedicated to Herod. Okay, King Herod, all right? Hence Herodians, all right? These are the people that the Jews had great difficulty with because that was the conquering empire. That's, that, that's who put them into slavery. They are so desperate that they're willing to go to their enemy to come up with a plan to get rid of their Messiah. Alright, and watch this. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy or kill him. The NIV says kill there. Okay? In his commentary, John MacArthur informs us that the Herodians were dedicated to supporting Rome and opposed the Pharisees on nearly every issue. But the Pharisees' pride had been so wounded that they are now willing to do anything to get rid of Jesus. Isn't it incredible? That's what happens when, you're, when you've got pride. Hmm? It pushes you further and further into what is not right. You know, that's, that's the reason why one of the most blessed things that you can do is humble yourself before God. Do you understand? And in fact, it is in that place that God talks to you. It is in that place that God empowers you. It is in that place that God becomes a shield around you. It is in that place that God says, vengeance is mine. I'll repay. It is in that place where everything works. But when you stand up in pride... The Bible says it comes before a fall. Do you know why? Because all of God's forces move back. Now you are God. Go for it. Only problem is you're dealing with the enemy that you can't see. And has got a vast resource behind it. Amen? And very ancient. It's a very ancient evil. Take you down quicker than you can blink. Anyway, the Spirit-filled Bible says... Or puts it so well when it says, The Herodians and the Pharisees were arch enemies. But here they are united in their common purpose to destroy Jesus. Evil, as well as righteousness, can unite people. In fact, John MacArthur says the Greek word for plotted, literally counseled together, includes the notion of carrying out a decision already made. The Pharisees were simply discussing how to implement it. In other words, they had already committed murder in their heart. The parallel account in Matthew's Gospel from the New Living Translation is very clear when it says in Matthew 12, 14, then the Pharisees called a meeting and discussed plans for killing Jesus. I think that kind of just says it all. Now, before we conclude this incredible story, we need to consider the following thought, and that is, Jesus may have deliberately healed on the Sabbath as a sign of the significance of His works. That is, His healing on the Sabbath linked his miracles with a day that symbolized for ancient Jews the future kingdom of God, when bondage would cease and the time of joy and messianic celebration would begin. I think this is an incredible thought. His Sabbath healings then were to be seen as a a foretaste or foretastes and signs of the kingdom he confidently announced. Amen? You see, let me break it down a little bit. Jesus was heralding the coming of a new kingdom. Remember the first thing that he said, repent for 
the kingdom of God is at hand. Remember that? Okay? He was bringing a new kingdom into this earth. He's saying all of the old stuff is coming to an end. Amen? And not only am I introducing a kingdom, I'm going to go take care of the thing that has been opposing its coming, which is the devil, which is why he had to die. That's why he said, I have to die. I can't do this without dying because I need to go somewhere when nobody is, in a sense, allowed in without permission, so to speak. Can I say that? Okay? I know people say, you know, God can do anything, but things had to be done the right way. And that's the reason why the devil had to take Jesus into his kingdom. He didn't forcibly go there as God. He had to be invited in. He had to be taken in. And then a price needed to be paid without the devil realizing that he never did anything wrong. That it was being paid for all of mankind. And so in the same way that the devil tricked man into giving up his authority, Jesus tricked the devil into giving up his authority. They both pulled a fast one. The devil on man and Jesus on the devil. Okay? And he got away with it. That's why it says that they known they would have never crucified him. Had Adam known, he would have never eaten. Okay? And so, you know, I think it's incredible that he just got the devil just to do exactly what he wanted. And, and made the devil think that he got away with it. Made the devil think that, that he, you know, he messed up somewhere. And that he had every right to do this and God wasn't getting in the way of it. Except it was all planned. Right down to the minutest detail. And no matter how much it tried to go off the rails. And dear God, it, it, I, I think, can I just, okay, this is just me. This is not the Bible says. Okay, allow my imagination here a minute. I think there were angels, you know, Michael and all that, thinking, how is this going to work? You know, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. The people that are meant to help him have turned against him. Everything, you know, I mean, I mean, Judas is plotting. I mean, one of his own disciples is about to hand him over. Peter is going to deny him. Things, are, they're all going to run off. Basically all of them, except I don't think John did. Anyway, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? I mean, they're looking and thinking, this is going to work? Seriously? There's no plan B? C, D, a couple of other ones? This doesn't look like it's going to work. I honestly believe that it was just, as this, this is what makes it so incredible, that no matter how many things went wrong, which is, I, I almost reckon the devil was thinking, yeah, there's no way, absolutely no way that this is a plan at all. This is just, this is, I don't know what this is. And just took Jesus. I mean, it was just, I honestly believe that that's where he was, his, his mind was at. Because things had gone so wrong. I honestly believe, I almost believe like the angels was going, I don't think, I, do you think this is going to work? I don't know. I wouldn't, put, wouldn't bet the farm on this one. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? They, I reckon they would have just been going, God, I hope this works. Seriously, it was just that bad. <clears throat> yeah, John got beheaded. That wasn't a good start. You know, the forerunner, like, oops, you know. So anyway, I'm just saying all of this for you to understand something that... <laughs> 
oh, I've actually got those, uh, those scriptures there. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was bringing this in. He was letting them know, this is how it was meant to be. I'm bringing something new in. All the old rules and all the old laws are not going to work anymore. They won't be needed. It'll no longer have any meaning. Can I say that, just in layman's terms? Because he's going to do something that is going to change everything. See, the reason that all of this... You guys need to understand something. The reason that all of this was instituted was because man fell. Jesus is about to reverse all of that. So all the things that they had to do, okay, kind of like, you know, um, the neighborhood went bad, and so you had to put up an electric fence, and you had to put locks in your doors, and you had to do all of these things. You can, you can just take all of the, the, the ceremonial things that the Jews were doing, was kind of like that, to put a protection around them, so that they wouldn't be ravaged by what the devil was trying to do, because it sort of taken over. Do you know what I'm trying to say? And Jesus is trying to say, guys, you don't need to lock your doors anymore. You don't need to turn on your electric fence. In fact, you can take the fence down. And they're going, no, 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 no. And he's going, no. Get what, everything that has been a problem to you will be taken away. That's what he's trying to say to them. That the new is coming in. The old is passing away. Yeah, but the thing is, you know, we like our electric fences. We like to know that we can lock our door. You know what I'm trying to say? And, and you know, because we don't, we don't trust. We don't, it's just like, I don't know. And we get attached to things that we shouldn't get attached to. Things that were necessary are no longer necessary, but we want them. That's when the problem begins. See, this is the reason why. The freedom that we have in the church is the freedom that Jesus wanted these Jews who are under all these laws and rules and so on and so forth, he, we wanted to say, all of that can be left behind. You can have this now. Just what we're having here right now. Amen. What a freedom, what a grace, what a blessing it is. We're no longer oblig- under obligation to do this, that and everything else. We can literally enjoy life now and spend time talking to God rather than killing some cow. Seriously, amen? Okay. <clears throat> all right. Let's, let's move on and finish this off. So that's what this is bringing out. When he says that, that his healings on the Sabbath linked his miracles with a day that symbolized for ancient Jews the future kingdom of God. When bondage would cease and the time of joy and messianic celebration would begin. Sorry, I'm rereading this on purpose. His Sabbath healings then were to be seen as a foretaste and signs of the kingdom he confidently announced. Evidence of this is seen in Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus says to his disciples again in verses 7 and 8, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Watch now, he says in verse 8, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Do you understand the significance of that? You didn't have to pay for this anymore. You didn't have to go to temple and buy stuff. You didn't have to, there was no longer money attached to this. Jesus is saying, it's, it's all coming to you from God now. You don't need a man to, make, to tell you that things are right anymore. Amen? If you confess your sin, doesn't say to a priest. If you acknowledge your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us, you know, forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. End of story. 
That's why it says that we shall be made kings and priests before God. We go to God as priests. We don't need to go to a priest. We are a priest now. Because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us, because we are the temple of the Holy Ghost now. We don't need to go to temple. We are. Amen? So you can have church wherever you are. <laughs> okay? You, yourself, and you. You, me, myself, and I. You know what I mean. Okay, alright? Uh, you got twice. Anyway. Alright. So, let me finish. It says, Therefore, it is very possible that Jesus intentionally healed people on the Sabbath to let everyone know that their long-awaited Messiah and His promised kingdom, with all of its benefits, were finally here. But sadly, instead of rejoicing over it and doing everything to assist it, certain religious leaders, not all of them, okay, came against it and actively opposed it every step of the way. And why it goes into saying, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 15, but when Jesus knew it, okay, that is the evil, murderous intentions of the Pharisees, he withdrew from there. All right, that's the synagogue. And great multitudes followed him out of the synagogue, and he healed them all. Do you see the problem here? Do you see that because they were opposing him, he went out? That was very significant that he walked out of the synagogue. And you know what? The people followed him. They didn't stay with the religious leaders and go, Well, thank God that healer's gone. We can all stay sick now and be happy. As if. It was so dumb. And this is the thing. When, when, you, are, you, know, when you are acting in pride and, and selfish and angry, you don't do what's right. And the very thing that you're mad about, it'll get worse. Because you don't draw people when you're that way. You push people away. Amen? This passage of scripture, let's finish with this. This passage of scripture is not only the end of this incident, but the beginning of the next section we'll be looking at, entitled, Jesus Heals a Multitude. When we come back next, next uh, for our last session in two weeks, we will deal with this, complete this, and then the next chapter we'll be looking at is Jesus choosing his 12 disciples. This is kind of, you know, he's done all of this without his 12. Interesting, isn't it? Amen. We might actually get into that. Uh, let's see how fast I can preach next week. All right. Let's have a head about every head closed. Father, we thank you for your word today. And we thank you, Father, for all the things that we are learning. And Father, we, we don't want to look at these people with a critical eye. We want to look inward. We want to see if there is anything in us that is like this. That we need to get rid of. Things that we might just be overlooking and excusing ourselves when we shouldn't. And I thank you, Father, that the, the times that we spend with you, Father, that it's like a mirror. You, you let us know. You let us see what we're doing and you show us our actions. And Father, I thank you that our prayer time isn't all about what we want. It isn't all about, God, here's my list. It's about sitting quietly in your presence and asking you to talk to us and listening and doing, repenting where necessary so that our relationship with you becomes stronger, more powerful, more meaningful, and that we, we become what you so need us to be, the light of this world, people who carry your presence wherever we go. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. You're dismissed.